welcome back to the drop at DFT. You are in the middle of the DFT Talks series, which is an extension of DFT University. DFT Talks is meant to break out and break down some of the more taboo topics, such as AI and VFX and mats in color, and then some of the more intangible, but just as practical, if not more so, uh, work-life balance and post. Does it exist? Is it a thing? Where does one find it? Where does one sign up? And then also the shh, diversity in post. <laughs> what is that about? Does it exist? Where is it? Have you seen it? I don't know. Do I look like your basic white lady? Sure do. Is that the case in an airport? Sure isn't. <laughs> Straight out of Palestine, I'm your humble host, Nancy Jundy, COO here at Digital Film Tree. And I am also joined by Sam Tango, our online and deliverables assistant here at DFD, and VFX editor, Omar Ellis. And thank you both for joining me here at the table. Of course. Why in God's name do you want to talk about this? Tell me. Who's going to take that away first? Go. Okay. <laughs> I got put on the spot here. Um, but that's fine. That's what I wanted. Uh, you wanted to be surprised? No, I mean, I think it's an important thing to talk about for, for any company, really, but particularly in entertainment industry, post-production, at least in my personal experience, I've realized throughout my ascent to the position I have now, even that I am usually the only one that's like me uh, when it comes to post-production or knowledge of workflow and yeah. even NLEs. Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with iMovie and even, you know... Uh, CapCut. People edit on yeah, their phones a lot Yeah, now. on their phones and even to some degree like Premiere, which is what I used professionally for a while. And they have like a base level knowledge and stuff and they're maybe just making like videos with their friends etc mm -hmm. but I don't think at least in my experience that I've met a lot of people who thought that they could even pursue it really as a career or you know make a living doing it so it'd be sweet to bring more eyes to that and let people know um, I know in my life something that I do that is really important to me is I went to private school uh, courtesy of my mother's whip, <laughs> but um, no, she just wanted me to, you know, exceed, uh, exceed expectations and do as well as I possibly could with the limited opportunities I would have in my life, etc. And ever since I became an adult, I would go back sometimes and talk to other, usually black kids, um, about my experience being in a private school, being completely outnumbered, you know, by, as a person of color. And I usually go back, and my friends that go back with me are lawyers or dentists um, or finance people. So it's fun to go back and be a guy who's in the entertainment industry mm -hmm. and, you know, talking about this stuff. They usually are really excited about it. They don't know that they could do it, you know, be involved in it. They only see actors and think that's really the only way, you know. So that's why I think it should be, you know, discussed or talked about. It's fair. So um, as opposed to just being, like... You either swing crack rock or you have a wicked jump shot. There's actually things yeah. in between those. There's that a lot of shit you could do in between, yeah. Um, and just to be clear, for the viewers at home who might go to our website, Omar is still the only one who looks like him here, <laughs> with the exception of our HR manager, Renita. Mrs. Renita Henley, 
who you might have seen on Pandemics for Geniuses. Don't worry, we know she's a fan favorite here and on screen. We'll have her back soon. Um, but we're going to dive into that because it is a long-standing frustration of mine that when you go to the website and you only see two black faces, what makes you think that you would want to be a part of that if we only have two black faces on there? So we're going to dive into that a little bit more. Sam, why is this why is this an issue that you agreed to talk about? Again, taboo. Not everybody wants to get in front of a camera about that. Um, tell us. Why does it matter to you? It, yeah, kind of the same thing that Omar said. It's a lot of like, you know, I'm Filipino, expected to be a nurse, expected to do like certain things. But then um, as soon as my, my sister is actually the one who kind of like inspired me to go into um, TV and film. But if she didn't do it, I probably would not have like had the courage to actually do it. Um, and it's also one of those things where it's just like, even though, you know, I've been working in the industry for, uh, six, seven years now, I like, I still have family who still think I'm doing nothing, who don't think I'm like successful or anything just because it's not my name on the credits or I'm not working on something that they know. And with what I used to do is like, oh, I, I did this trailer and they're kind of just like, cool. And because I'm not doing, I'm not working on stuff that they know or that they've seen or are familiar with. I'm still kind of just like a deadbeat in a sense. That's wild because you were <laughs> like insanely clutch. Yeah, I hate that for and you. So I, right? It's, it's one of those things where it's just like, I know like it's, it's kind of frustrating because I still have that mindset of like wanting to provide security for like future generations. But I'm like, I don't. I'm like, I'm good where I'm at. I'm good with what I'm doing. I don't need to like make bank every single paycheck to like feel that I'm contributing to society. We do pay well. I was going to say, not that the They do, they do pay well. I will, let me clear that up. I'm like, I'm not making like nurse money. I'm just saying uh, I don't need to like, you know. To be fair though, I would say nurses live a, yes, they a do. very My mom difficult was a lifestyle for My mom was a nurse. Yeah. My aunt's a nurse. I, I love nurses. Um, DFT me. lets us go home, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> you yourself are actually uh, not the only Filipino uh, member of DFT. No. Lacan De Leon is actually uh, our editor, kind sir. And I believe we have two or three others, but I am not confident enough in the exact country of origin <laughs> to say that, so I will abstain. Uh, and then it's interesting... Um, you know, Voltaire said, if you live your life well, you have no need for ancestors. Uh, shout out to my family members who will never watch this and couldn't even tell you what a Ted Lasso is. Doesn't really matter to me if they hear me say that because it's not uh, for from where I come from uh, and from especially Palestinians who do not have land, like generally speaking today, um, we get to be a minority of a minority because even in college, I was told that I could pick, ironically, uh, a um, uh, what do you call it? scholarship for Asians or for African Americans mm. because Arabs were such a minority of a minority no, that we then had to pick the continent of origin. Mm. Wow. So I was black for four years. Hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> college <laughs> to keep that scholarship. <laughs> um, and so where I come from, 
this was just uh, not only irresponsible but laughable and we'll we'll see her back here in a couple of months uh, mind you it'll be 20 years next October thank you hmm. um, and even when there has been success it comes out to oh you think you're better than us hmm. or it gets reduced to uh, don't forget who you are and where you come from yeah Thank you very much. I remember every day where I come from and who I am and what I am not nor ever will be. So those are some of the conversations where I get a little bit more heated. And I want to be clear that diversity is also not just a skin color or a religious background or uh, sexual orientation, sexual orientation or pronouns or any of these things that absolutely encompass diversity. But I also want to be clear that there are something called like office diversity, meaning just because Omar has four other VFX editors that understand his job does not mean that a colorist or the engineer or someone in dailies actually understands what Omar does. And just because we have editors does not necessarily mean that an editor understands what Sam does in online editing and deliverables. There are stories that would just make you go pale if you understood how many hurdles and scary things Sam Tango had to do getting certain shows to air on time. It's terrifying. <laughs> Very glad that she's here. <laughs> but those are all also stresses and pressures that are diversity and learning how to communicate in a language. That's not what we're talking about, though, today. So I do kind of want to dive in. And if you don't mind, I kind of want to jump back sure. to that. Why did you take a chance on us, actually? Because you were, um, if you don't mind me sharing some of your history, yeah, you were doing everything. Mm. You were editing. You were doing graphics. You were doing sound packages. You were doing all of that before. Yeah. So, and, oh, yeah. Okay. And I think you, you saw an ad or something of mm. that nature with us. Ultimately, why did you pick us? So I can, you know, just speak on a personal level that's not you know having anything to do with me being a black guy but I just know I had done freelance for a long time and I think I was misled about freelance I think personally it doesn't really align with my personality um, because I don't like for example like doing stuff like like quickly in a way and not that like the turnarounds are bad but it's like here's something I'm supposed to care about and I have two weeks to like care about this thing and then I throw it away mm -hmm. and also the other two weeks of that month are spent finding another thing that I'm going to spend two weeks on and not caring about and that just wasn't really like feeding me like uh artistically um and I was working with like some pretty big people I had some pretty like cool credits and I just felt like honestly like, the cooler the credits, the less money you make, I feel like, personally, as, like, at least in post. Um, for visibility. Yeah. For it's good like, for your reel. Yeah, you get, like, uh, like, I don't know, brownie points or something. Like, the, the, you know, the cool thing is you working with me or whatever. Um, and so for me, like, I was just working out of my home doing this stuff, like, all of COVID. And I had, had like, a different background from my coworkers, which we always kind of laugh about. Uh, like, I am not, like, I guess as traditional as everybody else in my specific department. Like, my closest friend here, like, Pethley, like, he went to school and then he worked at a job that was coloring. And then he's always kind of been in a post setting. And Or Robert's, like, 
like a technical genius and he's been in like eight colleges studying coding and stuff where like I like worked at valet and then I was just like in the background working on my craft trying to get better which is something that I think ties into like the issue of lack of representation for people like me um like I think unfortunately because of the systems that be uh even though like I love my coworkers, they're my friends uh they just obviously had different opportunities from their backgrounds and what their ancestors did set up for them um usually on the backs of people who look like me but that's something else entirely and that they'll have opportunities to go to these schools and then get these jobs or whatever whereas for me like I had to work at like liquor stores and uh parking cars while I would go home and then spend another five hours like learning to edit or getting better at it you just have to have a certain type of like grit to do that you only have so much life and how much of it do you want to spend like chasing something you know, especially if you're already working a job that's like, at least for me, was like grinding me to the bone, like parking cars, yelling with people about expensive parking and stuff. <laughs> and then to go home and then edit videos on top of that. This, it's like a lot, you know, not everybody wants to do shit like that. Um, and so for me, I just, I just knew I just didn't want to do it anymore. I just knew I always wanted to do. How were you exposed to editing? Like, how did that come about? I just made stuff when I was very young. And then... Every time I would want to make something better, I just it always came back to editing. And then I eventually was like, I should just learn how to do this. <laughs> like, I should just learn. But like, and forgive me because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I know how old you are, but I don't know if that puts you anywhere near a VHS. I mean, I'm 31, so I, I grew up with VHS, but I never okay. worked on anything. But you never did like the tape to tape editing. So like you, you first went Fully into... Digital. Like iMovie, Final Cut, or what? Uh, I firstly learned, because I did go to film school after not being able to afford traditional college anymore. I had to like forcibly drop out. Um, but I did go to film school later, and I did learn an Avid, actually. That was like my first foray into proper video editing. What? Yeah, but I did actually... That's a rare story, though. Yeah, I did do like iMovie and stuff when I was like 15. Yeah. But like when I learned like actually how to edit properly, in and out points, and telling a narrative story that was all an avid in film school mm-hmm. um shout out to los angeles film school me and a lot of dftrs went there actually uh like jacob went there too personally i feel like all of us anybody who works in entertainment like ultimately they're a storyteller that's like my ultimate passion that's like my thing i make a lot of projects on my own outside of work nancy knows all everybody here knows um and so i just felt like that skill set was the most valuable because you're really making the project in the cutting room, regardless of what you shot, regardless of, you know, you're cutting together the best performances. So for me, it just felt like a shortcut to making better stuff was to learn how to edit and get better at it. This episode brought to you by American Cinema Editors. (laughs) Just kidding. But yeah, so that's like kind of like the backstory for me. And I just think like what you're saying where it's hard to, to see people like us, like you too, who want to do this stuff, it's just like there's an extra layer, you know? 100%. It's an extra layer of work you need, and then it's also kind of behind the red curtain at the same time. So not only do you need to work that extra layer, you need to know that that shit's even there. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, that's the other... You grew up here, right, yes. Sam? Yeah. Omar... Same pretty much. Like, the since whole I was time? eight. Okay. 
So, and I, I didn't get here. <laughs> I have really good skincare. So, um, <laughs> I got here 20 years ago when I was 24. Um, but I'd been quote unquote in the business since I was 14, um, behind the scenes, broke into a website, drop for another time. Um, but I only knew because I literally, I remember watching entertainment tonight and I could not tell you who they were interviewing. But to this day, I remember what it looked like behind the person that was talking. And I saw all these people moving sets and I saw what I didn't know was a boom mic, but I remembered that. And I saw like a camera wheeling and then I was paying better attention on like, you know, Saturday Night Live and The Tonight Show. And they had these giant cameras that they were wheeling around and I would see the boom mic come in and out. And I was like, okay, so that's where stories come from there I want to be there and that's all I knew and then when independent film uh and directive video especially like in the the mid 90s where it was like do you have a credit card and a super eight or like go for it and so that's where I was really excited by those things but nobody like again I get it good for me thumbs up I love my privilege where it just Looks like I'm a white chick walking into a room. But in Cleveland in the 90s, I would literally go to church and it was the little brown girl. I didn't know I wasn't brown until I moved here. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> and nobody, like even the broadcast news people, like they were local celebrities, but like there was no access to mm. something like that. It came from here. There was um, like Elvira. You know, and it looked like she was shooting like these local cable things or something. But even that was still like a start. There was nobody that I knew did any of that. I certainly had no idea that what you did was a job. I neither did I. I like learned how to do it when I got my first job. So it's like. Same. Yeah. I didn't know what online editing was until I came here. Because well, I just yeah. thought all editing was the same. Yeah. Like Nancy really broke it down. Like when I came here, she's like, really, there's like these departments that do you know this part this yeah. part and I was like I just do it all I don't understand yeah <laughs> like that, that's that's yeah. how we learned in film school I mm -hmm. went to CSUN and for like the TV production program for like for the thesis when I was obviously one of the editors for my well, thesis take project me back for a second because like yeah. yes you grew up here but how did you know that you even wanted to be in any of this uh well my sister took a TV production class in high school and she was just like yeah just take it whatever and I didn't really want to do like a lot of studious stuff in high school so I was like okay yeah I'll do it um and so that's how I learned how to edit because we were doing um every Friday we would have a news program so we would shoot stories and then like shoot like the actual like news set and all that stuff and edit it together so it's ready by like Wednesday night Thursday because it um would air for like Friday after like morning announcements I learned how to edit on Final Cut 7 no 6 it was 6 at the time mm. um which didn't really look any different from seven, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I learned how to, you know, shoot new stories. We would either do like a new story, a feature story, or sports, and we would like rotate rotate each week. So there was an intro to TV class, and then TV two was, you know, you were actually working on like the new stuff. And if you happened to start taking like the TV class when you're a sophomore, you would move up to TV three, um, which was, you know shooting short films and stuff like that mm. so if you were lucky enough or found a way to like skip one of the two classes then you can move up to 
to that class, but I didn't do that. Um, so I got really interested in editing uh, when I was in high school. That's when I first started learning how to do it. Um, like I said, I wasn't, it probably wasn't something I was thinking about doing when I was younger. Um, I wanted to, let me see. Um, I wanted to think about what was going on. Um, I went to SF State for a year. I uh, didn't get anything done there because if you wanted to be in the cinema program, you would have to take these gateway classes. And it, it was like intro to cinema stuff. Um, but they were offered as GEs, so like literally anyone would take them. Mm -hmm. So I could never get in. So I came back down, went to SMC for a couple years. Um, I TA'd for like the sports casting class where I would like uh, shoot their stand-up interviews and then like if something needed to be edited I would do that. You're gonna say their stand-up nights and I was like that's no. brutal. That's no. So brutal. No it was they yeah. would they would have to interview um, other people in the class because you know sports casting and all that stuff. Uh, then I went to CSUN um, and I you know I worked I, I did a bunch of different jobs like you know we had to you had to learn how to direct, uh, so I directed a PSA. Um, I produced a doc, um, but I just really wanted to edit because uh, it's what I, I I know I'm good at. Mm -hmm. So they don't teach you what online editing is. Like you literally will, you you know you sync up audio and and the video yourself. You use proxies and then you just replace the proxy with like the final footage and then if you happen to know someone who can color it um that's kind of just like the closest i probably have ever gotten to online editing at school until mm -hmm. i started working at my old job and i was doing i was onlining trailers and stuff like marketing for netflix and amazon and just in case, because I know that there are people who are going to listen to this because it's seriously just not a talked about situation in post outside of, um, again, I love American cinema editors and they have a diversity initiative and the Karen Schmier Film Editing Fellowship, they have a diversity initiative. Um, but there are points of access for which you don't necessarily have to compete like Santa Monica College, you said SMC, that's mm -hmm. oh, Santa yeah. Monica yeah. College. SMC. That, and even LA Community College, and then you mentioned Cal State University Northridge, right? Yes. And LA Film School. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are different points of access that still, I do understand, cost money, but especially also if you live here in Los Angeles, these are points of access. Um, Comparatively, they're, they're pennies to yes. a lot of the places. Compared to USC, yeah. UCLA. And not um, only that, CSUN has actually, both the TV and film program have, they've been constantly, like consistently ranked in like at least the top 25 programs. High. They yeah. are very high. And um, they, there's the other one, uh, like kind of in Orange County, Chapman. Chapman, They are yeah. very high. Yeah. And those are significantly more affordable in-state-wise. Mm -hmm. But like my school is more compared, compared to like I wouldn't even say it's like CSUN. My school was really like like a full sale. It's more so like a boot camp crash course. Like yeah. in a year and a half, I got an associate's. And personally, you know, hopefully nobody comes and tries to track me down. I don't think it was a great program. But I think that because of 
how motivated I was when I went, I got every literal ounce I could get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, like, I don't know if I would recommend that for everybody. Because Mm -hmm. if you're 18, 17, and you just like movies, and you go to this place asking for still a large sum of money. It was about 30 grand for my two years. Mm -hmm. um, Which is obviously still way cheaper. USC is like 70 grand a year Mm -hmm. at this point or whatever. Who knows? Um, It's really what you you make out of it. 100%. And while, you know, a lot of people, I feel like, especially in the U- USA, people will be like, you know, well, it is what you make out of it. That's not always a positive, in my opinion. Because yeah. where you are in your life is very much going to, is indicative of what you're going to get out of something. Like, had I gotten this job when I was 20, right, the type of attention to detail I would have that I have now, it's just not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I was lazier when I was 20. I'm the same kid. It's just how... I don't know, time affects you and like what's important, et cetera. Like if you went back to CSUN now, right, I'm sure you would attack class with an entirely different vigor because you're going to have like knowledge and I want to get more out of this. You just, so, you know, at least for me, like I always want to make that disclaimer because I think I'm, I had like 150 people I graduated with and I think I, I quite literally might be the only person who works in the entertainment industry. From, from a whole graduating class of film students. At so, LA Film School. Yeah, and my particular, like, group of, of mm-hmm. graduating class, you know. So I can see how, you know, it could be perceived as a grift, you know, if you're not really taking it seriously. Yeah, like, I, there are a good, good amount of people that I know of in, from my graduating class who actually, who do work. They're, like, either doing production stuff or, you know, um, I don't know how many people actually, how many of the editors are actually still, like, editing. Uh, as far as I know, I think. At least I I, I'm st- I still, like, talk a lot to um, my co-editor and my thesis, and I don't think he actually does editing anymore. Uh, just because, like, job-wise, it, it was, it's hard to break in. It's already hard to break into Super. wanting to be an yeah. editor um, straight out of college. It's harder when you're not white. Because he's Japanese, and he... Um, he, as far as I know, he worked at Ignition for a bit, and then um, not even, but he wasn't even editing there. He wasn't an assist or anything. He was working in, like, the archive room. Mm-hmm. So, like, I definitely do think I got lucky with the break that I got um, doing online stuff, even though, like, you know, you learn creative, you want to do creative. Um, Did you? Because I specifically remember asking you, and you were like, nah. Now, 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 I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't mind doing it when I when I do it, but I was like, like oh, you're good. I, I it's it's one of those things where it's just like I'm so kind of used. I'm like when I do edit now, I'm very much in the mindset of like doing the online work because that's what I've been doing for like seven eight years now. So I'm kind of just used to that. And then when I do work on something creative, it takes me a while to get back into like, okay, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna start? Like, I'll I will legit like just stare at Resolve trying to figure out like what should I do (laughs) like just because I'm I just don't think that way that much anymore um and you know I was always cutting like with a script I always had like the narrative behind it so like you know kind of just doing reels and stuff I'm just like where what's what is a good starting point so it, it just takes me a minute to get back into that and be like, oh, I can do this and kind of like work it out from there. Fondly, we mentioned Joe Suzuki. 
Uh, Joe? Joe Suzuki. Oh, to the Los Angeles Film School. He did. <laughs> um, I mean, also, shout out to Jacob Tillman. He's recruited at least an eighth of the DFT staff <laughs> uh, because of LA Film School. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I don't know if either of you would actually know, but I think Greg Philkins, our Greg engineer, he, he went was... And he taught there. Yes. I talked wow. to him yes. about it. He knew a lot of teachers that were influential to me, actually. Yeah. I mean, this is, and I, I hope people go watch, like, What the F is Dailies from season one, but, like, there are just, there are so many roles that go into filmmaking and making television. This is the greatest team sport, not just because of how many people go into this and not just because of how different each role is that is necessary to make these things happen, but also, like, it's... It is so collaborative. There's no way to do this without it being collaborative. Like you um, struggle with get to versus have to. Talk to a bunch of different people who are all um, trying to make the same workflow happen. It's really, really impressive. This is the biggest team sport and the eventual outcome of it is that you're making something that connects with somebody, that gives permission to somebody to think a different way, to see a different story, to uh, relate, have friends, you know, that they can see every week, et cetera, et cetera, all these different things. Like this is one of the greatest team sports you're ever going to be a part of. For sure. Yeah, definitely. And I'm realizing now that I kind of sidestepped what you asked earlier, <laughs> but the reason that I decided to, you know, work here aside, outside of, you know, freelancing being really difficult for my personality type was that you know, I met you guys, so I talked to you, you know, virtually at the time because, you know, nobody was allowed to see other humans, but, <laughs> um, you know, and I talked to you guys extensively, and even though I didn't see any black faces, I'm in a unique position. My mom sent me to private school. I went, I was usually not surrounded by black faces, mm -hmm. so that wasn't always necessarily a red flag for me, you know, and... I understand the privilege in saying that, although, you know, some people might look at it differently, because I do know, I do have friends, I do have people I know, people with much different backgrounds, or much similar backgrounds that you wouldn't expect me and them to have, who do feel, which is wildly uncomfortable, surrounded by people who don't look like them. But my mom and my father, at a very early age, instilled in me, like, hey, unfortunately, you live in the United States. Yeah. Most places you go, there's not going to be a lot of us. So you got to make the best of that and try and, but that said, I mean, I just met with you guys. I talked to you. I talked to Rami. I talked to Josh a lot. I talked to Dylan a lot. Atoll, you know, she kind of gave me a little sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, but I just felt like the environment was, was interesting. And I didn't feel like you guys were hiring a black guy. I just felt like you guys were like, we just like Omar, you know, and that was like important to me. Because I definitely have been places where we're, where I was like, I'm filling a quota or they need me to, you know, you know, not to like quote somebody who's like super problematic now, but it's like when Kanye said he worked at the Gap and he, when black people would come in the store, he was always told to go to the front. Yeah. And I, I just didn't feel that vibe. Like Nancy was literally like, you can sit in the darkest room and wherever you want, never have to say hi to people, you know? I actually, I don't remember if I told you how fucking mad I was when they moved you to the back. I only heard through other I people. I lost my <laughs> shit. Yeah. 
I only heard through others. I yeah. lost my effing shit. Uh, with your permission, I'm about to tell that story. Yeah, don't forget to add the, the handicap spot thing, too, because you weren't happy about that either. <clears throat> like when I first started working At here. At DFT, too? Yeah, and then they were going to give me the spot that was like in the handicap zone, and you were like, Omar's not going to park there. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why I wanted to do this drop, why uh, these conversations matter to me is because Ignorant is not a bad word unless you choose to stay that way. Ignorant simply means that you did not know something. And God, it feels very token to quote Maya Angelou here, but once you know better, do better. Okay. And so, uh, coming from an experience where I did. I, I walked in. There was It was so white that I was the brown one. To have people pat my head and call me the little brown girl. You ain't take me back there. So when we are in a situation that, you know, when I first came back to DFT, uh, I think I was one of five women on a team of maybe 19, 20. And so far as diversity went, Lacan was holding it down. Lacan <laughs> and sometimes Henry Santos. Uh, because also it is it would be unfair of me to not acknowledge that our CEO and founder, Rami Katrib, was actually born in war-torn Beirut, Lebanon. And he has a chilling story about playing with casings and shells mm. that uh, would be his place to share with you one day. But he himself is not unfamiliar with what it can be and feel like to be other. Uh, however, when you've run a business, an often successful business for 25 years, sometimes that also transcends. And you're also running an entire business. And not everyone is as uh, lack of a better term, maniacal as I am, where I do try to be in the decisions and especially those that carry weight and impact and most especially in the ones where others feel those decisions are innocuous. So uh, in going to our website, I saw a scroll, a very wonderful, very gifted, very talented, very lovely white dudes. <laughs> and then there was me <laughs> and there was Aaron White um, and we had one receptionist and one other uh, we had two other administrative functions that was not going to do well for me at that point uh, I was already 20 plus years into my career and I had come up under God willing, we can find her photo. Roberta Margolis, who was one of the first founders in any post-production company in Los Angeles ever. Uh, I helped her sell that business. And then I went and started my own. And at the time, I was two, three, the fourth such woman to have done so. So coming in here, knowing uh, that it actually did matter to Rami and Renita that we were more representative of the world in which we hope to see, but not being of the ilk where we wanted to force that or make anyone 
carry a burden that was unnecessary, completely unnecessary. Um, but more so, how do we actually give access to these people so that they know how to find us? And some of that came with me having been in talent acquisition, knowing where to look, knowing how to word things to invite more people into that to kind of make sure people knew that barriers were not in place to keep them out, but rather had they ever been up before and we were not cognizant, how do we take those down? So back to dealing with ignorant, a word that is only a dirty word if you choose to continue to use it. We'd never really thought about things like, what does it feel like to be black or uh, gay in a workplace where nobody is actually presenting as such? I don't think we had ever necessarily been good at that point about understanding what it was like to uh, work with people who came from a different background. Most folks here had either grown up in Los Angeles had kind of a networking, again, Jacob Tillman, a lot of people worked here just because they had met him and known him. And there's a certain gravity that brings people of similar backgrounds together. That's not a bad thing, unless it is not inclusive of others to call someone other or to exclude. We are not exclusive people. So when situations might arise that others don't necessarily think of because we're just talking about like space and where to put somebody or how would we represent something or um, even thinking about lunches and food and all of these things that can go undetected. There was a time when this building is constantly in move. I will tell you that at one point we had somebody who had their own office and I said to them, uh, we need to move you over to a desk in an open area because we have somebody who's going to have to have private conversations. We need to move them into that room. That was the most privileged reaction I had ever seen in my life. And they blew up and it became a whole like three week situation oh. where we had to test out different things. And it was just, we didn't have to. I will say that much yeah. to try oh, and make sure that people felt honored but then I stopped and I was like, <laughs> actually, I don't want you to work here anymore. <laughs> like that's if, crazy. if that's how, like, because you felt you deserve something. Yeah. Look, if it does better for me to give up my office, which I almost did to Carlo, because poor Carlo, man, y'all be talking in that theater. I almost just go ahead and give, gave Carlo my office. <laughs> anyway. Um, but when. Carlo's the one talking. I know, but we'll come back soon. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> um, but there was an instance where we were trying to figure out space for people and playing musical chairs. And they moved you to the back of the building. Yeah. When this whole conversation had been about, we want to keep VFX together. And it's too much to have to like walk to the other side of the building. Da da da. And it's like, you said, like, if you want to work in a dark room, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I didn't mind. I was like, cool, I could go wherever. <clears throat> this building almost got burnt down. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't believe any of that was intentional. I don't either. What I do believe is that people didn't actually think about, one, the optics. Two, I don't think anybody asked you. I think they just said, oh, yeah, have to move I was you just back. like, okay, yeah, time to go. Three, 
What was there a discussion? Who decided that it was Omar going See, back the there? The crazy part was like I thought this was all sanctioned by you already. <laughs> so that's why I found out because I was only in that back room for a day. Not even really the whole shift. And then the next day I was back in the office I had previous. And you know and I think I was mostly mad because they made that decision. It was a day where I was out sick, and yeah, I was like, y'all uh, needed to call me. I was me. apologized mm-hmm. to you, though. It was good. It was cool. Y'all needed to call me. Yeah. Uh, those, those choices matter to me. And then, let's say, even something like lunch. It's If there is even a religious preference of, like, we don't eat this, well, then don't don't order bacon sandwiches to the <laughs> office. And, like, that's the only choice. Those are things that I don't know come naturally to everyone because not everyone, most folks, have not had to think of themselves as an other. Literally, even having to be, like, gluten-free or dairy-free, it at least gives you some concept of having to think outside of what is normal. Um, I would say also, quickly, what influenced me coming here... uh, Specifically to me, I don't know, you know, if this has to do with my my culture, but just the way I was raised, I prefer working with women. So I had interviewed a ton of places while I was looking, right? And I had maybe talked to two women. Mm. And one of them was Nancy through Renita. And then there was this other really nice black woman that I talked to at length. Who actually didn't hire me because I, I really don't understand. Maybe she had a crush on me now that I look back on it. But maybe that was just a totally didn't. different thing. So I talked to her for like two hours and I was like, okay, this job's for sure locked up. But it was not. Um, but yeah, so I saw a lot of women in power here. And for me, Nancy knows me personally. So she knows that's the easy transition for me. Because my mom is like the matriarch. Yeah. And, you know, I don't have any problems with my masculinity whatever. But to me, I'm like, it's easier when women are in charge. At least just in my personal experience. I just feel like I've just had smoother sailing working at places where the woman in charge is telling everybody what to do. Did this get triggered because I went into my preacher voice? No, no. I was just, I just wanted to add. So when I would do the Zoom and I would see, you know, four women and they're all the heads of the departments. I was like, oh, this shit will be chill. Like, I don't have to argue, you know, about like nonsensical stuff. Yeah, that's actually like thinking about how it was in my old job because when I applied there, literally their website's kind of non-existent. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know like, you know, how anyone looked like, what to expect. I go in and it's literally like all white people, all men with exception of like two women, but two were white. And so I'm there and I get hired and the other two women ended up leaving and there was another woman that was hired, but it was out of maybe like 20 people, there were two women at the entire team. And so it was very much like, okay, my old boss asked me about how I felt about the ratio and I was like, it sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, I'm like, what'd you want me to say? Yeah. I find like I, and not only that, I was like on the production team. I was the only woman mm. on the editorial team. I was also the only woman and person of color. So it was very much like, I already felt like a minority at none. It was just one of those things where I was like, okay. And pretty much the entire time I was there I could on one hand I can count how many people of color worked at the office like who were part of that entire office 
and one hand on like how many people of color were on the production team. And I'm not count I'm not counting anyone who's like, oh I'm from here, but I'm like you're you're white passing. Your last name I, when I first read your last name, I thought you were white. So it's like... I've had I people yeah. ask me if my last name is Yiddish. And I'm like, Beezer, my last <laughs> name good. literally means soldier of Allah. <laughs> oh my God, it's kind of the opposite, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, when I applied here, I looked at the website. I was like, oh, look, I see color. Like, and I know what I'm getting into. Yeah. I first interviewed with her and I was just like, oh, this is fun. Like, you know, actually answering to Omar did not have that lunch. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at that website and was like Bob I just saw Anita I just saw Anita okay, okay. okay. I mean I'm going yeah, to called me too to be fair though to be fair Renita called me like when I first was getting like I don't know interest in in them asking me to mm-hmm. come work mm-hmm. here Renita did call me and like black person a black person did kind of like Give you me know, warm up. me up. I was too. like, I need some sort of a head nod. Yeah, she was like, right? hey, like, when you go to the site, you know, like, it's not going to be, but she's like, but we're trying to change that. Yeah. She's like, you yeah, know, no, it's I, a like, cool yeah, I, I saw LeCon, yeah. and I was like, oh, there at least is another Filipino person there. True. Who is on the editorial team? Who's who actually cool as shit? Too. Yeah. <laughs> but who was it that was like, oh, I thought he was black? And I was like, LeCon Le- <laughs> Le- yes. What? I thought LeCon was black. That was me who told you that. Because when I came here, I was like, why did they hide this other black guy from me, right? Because we talked about Wu-Tang and all that stuff. I was like, why didn't I see you, bro? Then I looked on the site, and I was like, oh, wait, yeah, I guess. And then he told me, he's like, yeah, I'm Filipino. And I was like, oh, never mind. I, you know what's yeah, wild, though? That day that we were in the office, and homie was like, I'm half black. This other person was like, I can't be sharing their story. Oh, yeah, I didn't know. None of us knew. Oh, that's crazy. And then I just know? like, no. Oh. And I guess we all found out together. They was just like, well, I mean, I'm half black. <laughs> and I was like, the hell you are? Yeah, I didn't what? know. We all found out that day. That was wild. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the only one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was a huge thing for me because yeah that's, that, that's cool that she did that like yeah yeah and and then you know seeing women like aaron and yeah. avatar and then nancy so i was like chill, yeah my chill. second interview it was like i think the only male on the call was rami because mm-hmm. i talked to you first and then i talked and then i had like an interview like the next day or something and it was uh nancy avatar aaron is there someone else was sylvia on i don't remember but it was probably. Like, I mean, because she yeah. oversees finishing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in the the structure of digital film tree is four quadrants. Yeah. And so, infrastructure is led by Rami. Operations is led by me. Content is led by Aaron White, and creative services is led by Avital yeah. Shalev. Those are the four corners of nope. the business. Yeah. So, but then underneath each of us, uh, I mean, infrastructure is the most heavily dude structured one um aaron white is in there though because mm-hmm. she is an architect of the content upon which all creative services function in fashion and then operations is what helps all of those things Pretty run much. Yeah. but then creative services you have the producing crew where it's like all of our services are actually led by women yeah so i mean you have like head of color for example is thomas galleon head of finishing is jacob tillman but 
each of those departments still report into Sylvia, Sylvia Spinelli, mm-hmm. yeah. who is then overseen by Avital Shalev. Yeah. And then same thing with content dailies, truly overseen by Mike Streeter. Big Streeter. But overseen <laughs> by Aaron White. Yeah. So, and to be fair, you ain't spending my infrastructure money without going through the CFO. So that's me. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding, infrastructure. I love you. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that was, none of that was, I need to find the best woman for the yeah. job. It was uh, Avital and I actually had a very similar journey. She is from Israel. Yes, straight out of Palestine and straight out of Israel. We make it work, folks. We volunteer our services. Please come have a sit down with us. <laughs> we'll help. We'll help figure this thing out. Um, but she had. She was with the only other female founder, uh, big time picture company, and you know, I was like, I need her to revamp yeah. these services. And Erin was already here doing ginormous mega, she, period, she was running the company for a very long time. God bless her. I didn't even know. I talked to Erin and she was like, yeah, I used to work at the front desk. Brother, she used to I send like, invoices. What? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. She yeah. just like climbed every rank. I was like, oh, I didn't know. Like I, I Cause she just so good at what she does, yeah. knows all to this fair, stuff. I was like, I didn't know. To be fair, uh, she just wanted to get in here. She was overqualified for <laughs> for how we brought Must her in. Must have been, in. obviously. I was like, massively overqualified. You're answering the phone, Aaron. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense to me. To this day, if we don't pick it up fast enough, she still answers <laughs> the phone, just to be fair. Yeah. Um, Tango, I don't think you answered that. Why did you pick us? Uh, easy answer. I was sick of doing short form. I was sick of doing trailers because it, at the point where I was, it just felt very repetitive nothing felt challenging and i wanted to grow as an editor um and deeper into it i was just over it like i was kind of just over the people i worked with um because i felt like they weren't really listening to me Mm -hmm. like um or like (laughs) there was one point where i was like do i was working on like three major features at the same time and they are very like if you if you have one it's very time consuming if you have two it's like all right it's all you can really focus on i had three and i was like the fuck am i doing Mm. like and i told i told multiple producers i was like i you need to take one away from me i can't like i had breakdowns because i couldn't have any time off like i needed to like i wanted to take a break and my boss was like can you push it off a week i'm like no, like I legit cried on the phone talking to my producer because I was like, I can't handle this. Okay, but also, why do I have to fight you so hard to take a break then? I literally will push her out sometimes. What is different when <laughs> when the environment's like open, right? Like then you feel differently. Yeah, because like you are taking the initiative to do it. Like I would tell them and they're like, okay, we'll see what we can do. But nothing ever came out of it. Mm-hmm. And then when I brought it up, like the only answer I got was like, Oh, I thought you liked working on big projects. I was like, yeah, they only try to spend it on you. Yeah. And I was like, I do like working on big projects, but I'm like, if I'm legitimately having two breakdowns in a week, like, you need to help me here. It's a pain point for you still, obviously. You yeah. Feel, you feel so connected to it, even to this day. There is a difference between taking advantage of an opportunity and being taken advantage mm-hmm. of by an opportunity. And so pretty much at that point, I was like, my sister was like, you should have left that job like three years ago. I'm like, I know. 
Um, but I had things going on that I didn't want to like. Not have a job. Yeah. Yeah. And so at that point, I was like, I got to find something new. Um, to this I... day, one of the most meaningful things that has ever happened to me is having your sister come up to me and thanking me <laughs> for giving her her sister back. Damn, that's deep. She told me I was nicer. Like I... <laughs> She did. She was it. She was like, Sam's like actually nice again. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of was just like, I need to find something new, like, I knew that I wanted to do like TV stuff because the most challenging thing I ever did there was work on this like 30 minute TV special um, for Marriage Story. Ooh. So that was that was really fun. It, it was a really quick turnaround. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a thing that I'm used to. So like when it was brought up like, oh, some of this stuff's going to be like, you know, really cool. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I, I did like a 30 minute thing in a weekend. So I was like, I'm, I'm fine with that. I have um, similar... Sometimes yeah. when DFT is like, hey, Omar, this is going to... And I'm like, I used to do yeah, so all like, of it. Like, it's fine. <laughs> so things like that don't bother me. It just it bothers me when no one listens to me. Yeah, that's I don't feel okay. like we have that here, right? No, no, not at all. Like, that's why, like, when you're like, why do I have to tell you? I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just... Sam, used... clock off! <laughs> I'm just used... To, like, it was, it's one of those things where there was real no... there Like, no one was, you know really checking on people Mm -hmm. it was always like it was only after like weeks had gone by and it's like oh hey that was really tough good job i'm like fuck you (laughs) it got got to the point where i was just like okay like we would have meetings and i mean yes you guys already know how i'm at how i am at during meetings but it was even worse because like i legit just would never actually say anything like just because at that point, there was just nothing for me to say. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I would vent to people because I knew that they understood. But they're, but it was just also frustrating because something should have been done and nothing ever was until I was like, no, I need to take a week off. Um, but So I do want to ask about acclimating to the culture here because that number one, bar none, hands down, no one ever believes me. The hardest part about working at DFT is acclimating to the culture. I just wanted to add something to what you were saying real quick. Unfortunately, and I feel like this probably has to be said and probably every single time Nancy or DFT orchestrates one of these is that at least anecdotally, like a, a very diversity aside, something that unites most of everybody I've met in post for some reason is their trauma. I don't know why this industry, particularly our branch of it, has to be so difficult yeah Yeah, like traumatic um and that's across all of the departments Mm -hmm. right like nancy herself has hugged me when she's seen that i'm overwhelmed because she knew just like the workload i had before where you know it was kind of i don't want to speak for your experience obviously it was very painful for you but i feel like so many of us black white yellow green we all have some yeah you know sadness tied to this and i'm like I'm kind of striving for anytime I do stuff outside of here or here. Like everybody who knows me that works here knows that Omar's never trying to create some type of friction or Mm -hmm. trauma. It's just so important to me because I just feel like so many of us have already come from that background. And that's something that me and Nancy talked about that really led me also to coming here was that she was like, look, a lot of this shit's been fucked up for a lot of people. 
She's yeah. like, and, and I'm like, as long as I breathe, like, I won't let that happen here. And I've seen that in action, you know, since I've worked here, where people who do kind of want that environment mm-hmm. are not usually long for DFT's, yeah. you know, world. Yeah. It took me a while to kind of just be like, oh, someone is actually looking out for, like, my sanity. Like, like the fact that it's like, go take a break. Go, like, stop staying on until 4 a.m. I'm like, okay thank you. Like it, it took me a while to kind of get used to all of that. And, you know, the shout outs and stuff, because that's something that never happened. No one, like my boss, my bosses wouldn't say like, like during a hard week, they wouldn't just be like, Hey, you know, you're going through, we know that it's tough right now, blah, blah, blah. It would always be after the project's done, like after things had already finished and like have wound down and I'm like, all right, I'm cool with everything right now. But it's it was just really frustrating because like it it got to the point where I just didn't feel appreciated for everything I was putting into the company putting towards all of that because I always worked really hard I always put a lot into what I was doing and it just never felt like they like appreciated and like were like oh cool thank you for like you know making sure this looks good type of thing so uh, just to unpack a few things there, the shout outs. We have a Friday meeting every Friday um, that started at the advent of the pandemic to make sure that people remained or felt uh, like they had an opportunity to still connect. And because we've we've actually always been uh, remote favorable uh, VFX, largely because a lot of very talented VFX artists operate as an island already. Um but also there's this horrible thing here in Los Angeles called the 405 and traffic. <laughs> and so um, we also understand colorists don't necessarily want to be tied to a, a, a house. Thomas Gallion, our senior colorist, he doesn't live that far from here, but he's also quite comfortable in his setup at home. Uh, Jacob Tillman, uh, we have, you'll, you have heard about this on other drops, all these different ways in which we're able to do our jobs remotely. We already, we own the building. It's fine. We don't, you don't have to be here. We're going to use it one way or another. So if it gives you better sanity, work-life balance, the ability to do your best work, you can operate from home. But in the pandemic, what had been a luxury overnight became a necessity and so we really had kind of taken for granted the ability to connect with people in office until Mm -hmm. that point and so the alco came out of a sense of needing to do something wanting to stay connected but right now it just kind of feels like part of what it is and it is hopefully this doesn't come a surprise to you guys but it is completely optional (laughs) like and it's wild to me. Don't what you didn't know, and you just been showing up because you thought I had to. No, I just like <laughs> I thought what I was thinking. I was just like, I don't know, why would you just not go? But that's yeah. that's the thing. That's what blew me away. Like, and we did surveys after the first year of like, you know, are you are you done with the all code? Do you want to keep them? It was like ninety eight percent was yeah. like keep the all code. And that 2% was like, I mean, I could do with it not always being about DFT. Could we play a game or something? <laughs> Sometimes we do. That's yeah. how we do, and that's where it came from. And it's yeah. like, it's super fun, and you get to learn more about people, and, you know. But it, it's also been quite an experience to watch more people come together that way. The virtual coffees that we do, 
the um you know of course we have like on-site parties but then we have like the vancouver office gets a holiday party even new york yeah which is a much smaller team they get their own party all these different things but you know the culture here is very trauma-informed you know rami avatar myself we all have had some sort of trauma training in which we go through difficult conversations we are not afraid of those kinds of experiences it's very much a Brene Brown school of you do not turn away from people's pain. And so the one thing that I would say, um, so far as the experiences of, that you've had, we hear that far too often. And the hardest part for us is like employing people. I have to make an educated guess. What do I know of you as to whether or not you're going to be able to trust us? And I know how much we're willing to do to earn that trust. But we have had people who come in here and never round that corner. Mm -hmm. They're doing, they're doing less than they're capable of because they're waiting for the other shoe to drop or they break themselves in two trying to get me to believe that they deserve it, that they've earned it. And I'm like, honey, you're, you're in the door. Yeah. You're already here. Do your best work, but nobody's trying to run you into the ground. Don't make some grand opus of it. The culture here is foreign to so many people. We trust you. We want you to succeed. And I need to know what you need to succeed. Like, actually tell me. But also, I've had to learn the hard way that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. And so complaints go out or they go down Mm -hmm. instead of up to the people that can help you. Why? Because a lot of people have been taken advantage of or abused by those people. I guess that that does make sense from, that checks out from like what I've experienced in my time here, almost two years. Um, I would say that foreign's not even the right word. I would say it's like intergalactic, right? (laughs) Like it's like such a different environment that it's hard to put into words which is why i think people have a hard time acclimating for me we were asking about how i acclimated i have like a very positive family unit and a very supportive support system and just for me they kind of were just like hey omar you worked really hard and like this is the type of environment you belong to be in and you know this type of community is the type of people that not only they believe that I'm this type of person, but that I should be surrounded by these type of people. Um, And I don't feel like it was that difficult for me because I felt like as myself, Omar Ellison, I was allowed really to be myself from the very beginning. Um, And luckily I met Pefley who showed me like, hey dude, you know, I'm I'm just this guy. I'm this guy. He's a, he's the same guy when he's on the clock that he is when we hang out outside. Like he doesn't at, at at least specifically here, I don't feel like you have to put on like a corporate face or do this like <laughs> Rami wears Birkenstocks. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he doesn't get pedicures. And I would say that's like super <laughs> difficult, right? For like people of color because like we have two versions of ourselves that yeah. we that throughout you know, corporate America you have to use like I'm so used to 
I don't know if you guys ever seen that movie, Sorry Are You to Bother You, but it's like, yeah. I'm so used to having a white voice, right? Where, mm-hmm. like, I have to be, like, talk totally different, use totally different words. Yeah. And, you know, the first week I worked here, obviously, I'm going to have this. And then, eventually, I'm talking to Dylan, and Dylan's telling me how much he likes MF Doom. And I'm like, <laughs> you know MF Doom? Mm-hmm. You know? And then we start talking about stuff. I'm like, oh, you can just... And then he's wearing it? shorts. And I'm like, oh, you can just, like... Be who you are. We yeah. were like you know? six months in when we did like a like a team field trip to the Wu Tang Clan. No, no, that I was already been here a while. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was, I think that was me. Was I was because I remember. I think so. Yeah, that it was like October. <laughs> Wait, this like is that? what you guys do for company fun, right? Yeah, because yeah. me and Lacan were vibing. <laughs> I was the I was I was supposed to, I think I got sick. I was like, dang. Um. Yeah, I yeah. got stuck in traffic. That was yeah. depressing. Oh, yeah, you showed us a picture. Oh. We were like. That was rough. But but for me, at least, the, that part, it's like, it's difficult to find that anywhere. Mm-hmm. Not just entertainment industry, whatever. And, you know, just to add a little insight that maybe you guys don't have. Like, when you're black specifically, and this probably happens to you, but probably just, unfortunately, on a lower scale. Because you guys have lower visibility than black people do. Black people are just really loud about our injustices a lot of times. You'll get shoe like shoehorned into like black stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Which has always been something I'm Nancy knows I'm vehemently against. I like to consider myself a person who happens to be black instead of, you know, it's like my defining feature. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the black community has different feelings of these things, but that's just my personal. Um, so I never want it really to be, get shoehorned into stuff. I knew so many of my friends, talented people. Who did work you know below the line um or even above the line who for their entire rest of their careers and they're 25 years old to the time they're 60 in this industry they're only going to do black people stuff they're mm-hmm. never going to venture out and unfortunately because of the way the system is structured they can only be so successful unfortunately yeah. unless they somehow get lucky enough to blend into ryan coogler's alley or Issa Rae's alley, Donald Glover's alley. Those are three people, mm-hmm. right? Like Outside of that, you're in, unfortunately, Tyler Perry land. Like, yeah. And all of that, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is like a net negative for, for what I want for my community. So I've always jumped at opportunities to be the only person in the room because somebody got to do that shit, man. Yeah. Somebody got to bridge the gap because if me working here later brings you know another black person or more black people who were shoehorned in doing just black stuff yeah because i was nancy knows i was like kind of only doing diversity stuff and i was like i don't want to be stuck doing this because unfortunately when i came here i learned so much more yeah. and i was just like damn they don't even know this stuff do you know that like their budgets yeah, aren't yeah, the yeah. same the opportunities yeah. aren't the same 100 percent. and i was like if i could just like learn all this stuff and then be able to disseminate this to people, others who are just like me, like, I want to know all this. I'm like, yeah. you don't even know online editing. Yeah. You don't even know. Like, we can do all this stuff. Yeah. This will make mm-hmm. your stuff so much better. Like, you know, it kind of feels like Robin Hoodie, where you're, like, snatching all this information from this established white power structure and being like, look, you can make your movie just as good as, yeah, exactly. you know, Julia Roberts' movie yeah. or just as good as Jason Sudeikis' show. Like, and I feel like... Black people are, are moving, trending towards the right direction, 
because we've been very vocal, Oscar so wide, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel very torn because I'm only half. Like my other culture is Latin, and they are floundering in my opinion. It's much much harder to get a grasp of great Latin projects, great Latin television shows. They're all yeah. being canceled, or they're always dancing or speaking in half English, half Spanish, and it's like. It's 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 a unique entertainment industry problem where where black people kind of have more visibility than we've ever had and the representation mm-hmm. is higher than it's ever been and sometimes it makes me personally feel guilty as somebody of two cultures mm-hmm. where I'm like damn I wish Latin people had this I wish Filipino people had yeah. this you know because like honestly when you think of like Filipino actors you think of the Bosco brothers and then like Lou Diamond Phillips who's like half Filipino I think yeah so it's just like there's not really an avenue you can go down to unless you like start a collective of other with other like filipino filmmakers and stuff um so it's one it's definitely one of those things like if you want the representation if you want to see what it's like like the only the only way you're going to see a lot of filipino actors is if you watch like a filipino drama or something yeah. that's there yeah so. i mean that's kind of where where i had started when i was talking about the like you know don't forget where you come from or remember who you are and it's like you know, I wish you would take a little bit of whoever you think I must think I am. <laughs> because there there are a few celebrity deaths that really impacted me, and Harry Belafonte was uh, one of them, and I still can't yeah. get through it without choking up because I don't think most Legendary. people know how much that man did for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of my favorite singers of all time, Lena Horne. When she first found success and she was saying, like, you know, I think I think this is too much for me and, and I just I just want to raise a family and I just wanted to make a living and I, I'm not here to, like, carry some burden. And he said, you have to keep going. You have to. Um, there is not enough visibility and opportunity for us. You have to carry this and you ha- have to keep going. And when people talk about standing on the shoulders of others those are the moments when you have to think about what is the sediment how many people are buried underneath the person that finally got to stand for you to stand on those shoulders cory booker was talking about it one time where he was like i am not tired i will not be tired do you know how many people had to run so hard and so fast for so long for me to be here right now no I'm not tired and so you know again I get it Nancy Jundy looks super white thank you for all the things that that gives me access to but also the only representation I got out there are some really gnarly uh news stories in Mo Ahmed what up Mo thank you sir (laughs) I appreciate you um but that's about the most representation that we have we also had uh it was real it was real nice the foley person uh on ted lasso straight out of palestine bless you lady i appreciate you but those are very rare moments and um no it is not for me at least a defining part of my character because i do i get a lot of remember who you are remember where you came from and things like that trying to bring me down and as, as much as I love my family, I don't always like them mm-hmm. because I don't need that. It doesn't add to anything except stress. 
Um, and I believe in what we are doing here, uh, not just as DFT, but as an example for others who I hope one day will take it to a place of a collective of gifts and talents that actually make every story and every contribution we make to those stories better. Uh, both of you are working on reels right now that the only commonality I want to have are the fonts that we're using. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But your styles and the way in which you are exhibiting the work that we need for everyone out there to see coming out of DFT, I want your personal brands on those. With that, I hope we have done some small drop of honor into the big pool that is the conversation around diversity. Um, the only other thing that I would ask is if there are any suggestions that you have, because I have tried every website every list, every everything, whenever I post a new job to try and capture a wider net. We go to the schools, we offer mentorship programs, we have floaters for each season. And, uh, you know, that was holler, Stormy, we miss you. I know, Stormy. Stormy and that sweet girl, I mean, she would probably have, you, you guys saw that coming up in post uh episode of the drop with her she's off filming Clawface with mike streeter oh she's in it she's no girl is producing she is oh, a really? producer nice. so proud of her uh one of dft's very first dft productions we are in it with mr mike streeter and she is out there on loan with love to Clawface. um <laughs> But yeah, if you guys have thoughts, ideas, we're all well, ears. I, I would just say I didn't know you guys would do that. It'd probably help, like if I was there, you know, if she was there, because no matter how hard you guys try, it's always going to be difficult to bridge that gap yeah. when it's Rami talking to them, you talking to them, Avatar mm -hmm. talking to them, just because, unfortunately, you know, people. Nobody know I'm like soldier They just look at you like you're different, you know, so. But if I knew, like, you guys are going to classes or doing yeah. stuff, like, I'd love to go sometimes and be like, hey, I work here. You yeah. Know? And they'll be like, oh, shit. Whatever. I'll be like, yeah. and, and I know all the same bullshit slang they know, and I know what they're saying. And... Wait, did you even play that millennial Gen Z whatever game what? that Stormy did? No, were you guys not no, on I that? Never played I don't that. No. I might have Stormy been did, like, do you know the reels. lingo thing? It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I feel like that probably helps a little. I know for me, because you showed me a site and you were like, "Oh, I post this to this site," and I was like, "Nancy, I've never it's heard of this site." Literally called Black in Post. <laughs> I was like, I've, "I've never heard of this site in my I've life." Never heard of it. Yeah, I was like, oh, I've never heard of this. Um, but at the same time, like, it, it's not all on DFT, obviously. Yeah. Like, there's so much. Like when I went to the Eddies, right? Thanks, Nancy, by the way. I went Got to, it. you know, the beautiful... Once again, ceremony. American Cinema Editors. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Appreciate you, Jenny. And there I got to see some very powerful black editors. It was like seven of them, you know, out of like 200, 300 people, mm -hmm. but still. And, you know, we got to see... I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name now, but she was the editor for The Woman King. <clears throat> oh, Gina Price Blythewood and Harry Shropshire. Mm -hmm. Yes. And... <laughs> Ironically, that was the first time I ever seen her, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I've been an editor for years, I'd never even seen this woman. And a few weeks later, I had a Directors Guild opportunity that I went to where Casey Lemons was being honored. And she showed up again and she edited Casey Lemons' big picture, Eve's Bayou. 
And I was like, this woman's been doing this since the 90s. And she's just getting the recognition yeah. from, you know, the Eddies now. And it was really interesting to talk to those people because <clears throat> there were some who were doing these big projects, like the Woman King. And then the other half that weren't on the stage that we met, you know, while we were eating snacks, they were, like I was saying earlier, a little more relegated to BET shows, mm, and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And I was like, damn, you can go this far and you can still, you know, kind of get yep. shoehorned here. So it, it would be great if, you know, those people had a little more visibility. Like yeah. I said, I'm an editor and I never saw her before yeah. until this time, you know. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how you would do that, but it would be great if, if there was some type of like, I know at the DGA there's a, a black union that's actively pushing this mm -hmm. stuff. I'm not sure if editors have the similar thing. That's the American Cinema Editors Diversity Initiative. Okay. And it's like, you know, Maisie Hoy. I adore her. And she's she's been on the board for years. And, you know, even with Lasso, Salim Aziz came on. He mm. was, I forget if he was AE or VFX editor. I think he was AE um, because it was a massive show. But, like... And he was at our holiday party, like it, but it's still such a small pool of people yeah. that, yes, thankfully, being at the Eddie Awards, you get to see more of that. But then also, that's not necessarily a pool you get to swim in that often because it's for editors and you're a VFX editor and an online editor. And it's like, oh, why? Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, but if you don't see it, maybe you got to be it. So... Moral of the story. Yeah. Stay tuned for one more DFT initiative. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on another episode of The Drop. We'll see you next time. Later. Bye.